You are listening to a message from Crestview Bible Church in Hutchinson, Kansas. For more information and additional resources, visit us at CrestviewBibleChurch.org. Well, communication is central to who we are as humans. And unfortunately, communication can sometimes be a struggle for many of us. And so here's some examples about how we fail to communicate effectively. These are quotes. I never thought when we were going together that he would talk to me the way he does now. I can't believe what I'm hearing when my son talks to me. She hung up on me right in the middle of a sentence. My parents never talk to me unless I'm in trouble. He only talks to me nicely when he wants something. He talks so much it's hard to get a word in edgewise. I'm not comfortable with the way she talks to me about other people. Seems like we never have enough time to talk. He talked a long time, but I, have, I don't have a clue what he was trying to say. Why, why do we always seem to end up in an argument? What happened? We seemed to be so close, and now we hardly ever talk. I feel like I spend all my time breaking up the kids' arguments. Yes, he asked for forgiveness, but I'm having a hard time letting go of the hurt. What he said was so cruel. I wish our family could go through an entire day without someone yelling. I don't know why I waste time talking. It doesn't seem to make a bit of difference. We'll never get to the bottom of things if everybody keeps talking at once. She always has to have the last word. He talks so sweetly to me when we're in public. Sometimes I think it would be better if we quit talking altogether. So all these different ways, all these different things are talking about, all the, speaking of all the different ways that talking is an issue. They're simply demonstrating that communicating isn't easy. We've all been hurt by what someone has said. We've all said something that hurt someone else. So that applies to everybody in this room. We've all said something only to regret what was said later. So there's no one who can claim that their words are always appropriate to the situation and that their words are always kindly spoken. And then we have that reality coupled with the fact that now we have social media where that can go out in an instant and the Library of Congress has a record of it for the rest of our existence. And we have a huge problem. We struggle to communicate. So that's what we're thinking about today. Communication. It's a huge foundational piece of a marriage that honors God. That's part of it. And really, in this series called Homeward, we've been, we've been noticing what God has intended marriage to be from the beginning. So we looked at that, really we started in Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25, where God creates marriage, and we looked at some of those foundational aspects. And then last week we surveyed uh, chapters 1 to 3 and saw that issue of roles and, and um so now we're coming and we're going to survey chapters 1 to 3 again for uh, what this, how this relates to communication. Uh, last week we also noticed how, how sin has affected everything. And one of the principles we saw a couple weeks ago was how we need to have communication that honors God. So that's what we're after today. Not some insignificant detail, but the fact that God wants our words to be used in such a way that it glorifies Him as it encourages and builds up others. What would happen if that was the effect of our speech? That everything we said glorified God and encouraged and edified others. 
It'd be a great goal, a great motive. So I don't know if you've ever even thought about the purpose of why you're using words. I mean, maybe you had to do that in speech class about this is the purpose, but a lot of us, we're just kind of freestyling, and uh, it gets a little whack, if you know what I mean, um, because there's no, there's nothing there that's holding it together with purpose. God is intended for us to communicate in a way with purpose. And so my purpose for this talk on communication is that you would communicate with purpose, ironically. So I hope as you'll listen, you'll be encouraged to redeem your speech for the glory of God. I hope what you see today is changing for you, life-changing for you. And realize this can only happen as God changes us. That's the key. So if you're here and you're without a relationship with God through Christ and the gospel, it's difficult, really it's impossible for you to turn conversations to glorify God without God changing your heart. You can't do it. You can't chart a trajectory. I mean, sure, you can say, well, I'm going to be nice in what I say, but... Without heart change, that's just going to be a short-lived romantic idea. Um, one core principle here in this passage is that you glorify God um, by submitting all that you are to Him. So today, I'm really hoping you can see your need for the gospel in this. Something has to change in terms of your relationship with God before you can change the way you communicate to others. And Jesus is our hope for that. And if you're a believer... This hope's real for you. I mean, it's not like some just, oh, well, here's the lofty goal. i got to aim at something, so there's the goal, and I hope that I hit it sometimes. No, the gospel's a lot, of, a lot more powerful than that. The gospel's just not, well, I don't have any other thing to do, so I guess I'll just try it. No, the gospel changes you. That's what the, the Bible says, that, that you are now a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. You have been revolutionized by the gospel. Everything's different now. That's the effect of it. The gospel's that kind of good news that the whole way you live, the whole way you operate can be affected. Um, So God has communicated. Uh, God's word not only gives us clear instructions, but God has spoken so that we can learn from what he's spoken for our benefit. We don't have to be stuck in these bad patterns of communication. We We can be redeemed. We can break out of these ruts. We can be changed and it can be real. We can say no to communicating in selfish ways and honor him because of the gospel. So I hope you see that in this passage that we're going to look at. So what I'm going to do is begin in the book of Genesis, chapter 1. Remember, Genesis is the book of beginnings. And here we have God showing us how speech began and what it looks like. And so I'm hoping as you see these principles that it would affect your life, no matter where you're at in life. So let's begin with... This first fact, that God established communication. God established communication. Like most everything, God is the one who initiated this. God's the one who established this. Uh, Look at Genesis 1, verse 3. What do we see there? Well, really, just verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then what happens in verse 3? What is the next words in your Bible? And God said, God said, God spoke, and the world as we know it was never the same. Because God spoke. So God created the world, and Genesis 1 tells us that the way God created the world was by His Word. 
He spoke it into being. Do you get that rhythm? Have you ever noticed this? God created life by speaking words that gave life. Think about that. He spoke words that gave life. So look at this. God said, let there be light. And it was light. God saw the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and morning the first day. Bam! God said. And it was good. Verse 6. God said, let there be an expanse. And so God made this. Verse 9. God said, let the waters come into the heavens. Verse 11. God said. Verse 14. God said. Verse 20. God said. God speaks all this into being. And it is. So there's a rhythm here. If you read, um, when I was taking Hebrew in seminary, one of the exercises was I had to go to the library and check out this tape of a Jew reading Genesis 1-3 to in Hebrew. And you can hear this rhythm. You can just hear it. And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. God speaks, God calls, and things came into be. God created the world with words. He spoke and it was. Then at the end of chapter 1, um, God's words are filled with blessing. The way God communicates changes now in verse 26. So after making all these things in chapter 1, verse 26, listen to how it changes a little differently. Then God said, let's make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. There's something unique and different, isn't it? So God said and it was made, now God blessed them. And how did God bless them? God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea. And God said, behold, I've given you all this stuff. So God blessed them, and he, the way he imparted that blessing was through speaking. His words were filled with blessing. It wasn't just that God blessed them. So, I mean, a lot of us talk that way, like, God's really blessed me. Oh. No, in, in Genesis chapter 1, God blessed them. And we, how did he bless them? By speaking. Do you get that? So God created the world by speaking, and now God blesses. God blesses them by speaking. His words impart that kind of blessing. Um, And look at how all this concludes in the commentary in verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Very good. And there was evening and morning the sixth day. So God saw this. It was very good. Later in... um, Genesis 2, verses 15 through 18. We see the creation of man from another angle. So here's another account of the creation. So look in verse 15. Uh, And look at how God communicates here in words that are meant to keep the man knowing his blessing. So the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So in these verses, God seems to give man instructions about life, right? I mean, God commanded the man, do this. You can have fruit from any tree of the garden. God just gives this commandment. But on a deeper level, God's imparting to his creation the pathway to blessing. You want to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth? You want to know my blessing in that way? Then here's a way that you know that. Here's You walk in these ways. 
I've not only created you with my words, now I'm blessing you with my words, and now even my commandments are blessing you with a path to walk so you can walk in my way. And then we have God speaking again in verse 18. God said, it's not good. This time he finally sees something that he's made that's not good, and the fact that is not good is that man was alone. It's not good that a man should be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. So God, being the God that he is, speaks in a way that will bless. He speaks in a way like, I'm going to do something about it. It's not good. I'll make a helper fit for him. So God makes marriage. Another blessing that God gives by speaking. This is not good, so I'll do this. He speaks that. Why does he have to speak it? Because it's by speaking it that we know he's going to make it, and we know he's going to bless so what's going on in Genesis 1 through 3? So God established communication. I hope you see that from the very beginning of the opening pages of the Bible. This is important for us to realize because we often wonder if there's any hope for our communication, right? We ever wonder if God's even able to help us. You ever had like one of those good fights at home? Am I the only person that's like an unbeliever here? You know, it's just, am I the only person that like lives in sin? Um, do you all ever fight in your homes? Okay, So we all do, right? We've had these fights, and um, maybe you've got an argument, and then maybe that argument, you just kind of respond by saying, why did we do that? <sighs> why did we do that? Where can we get help for this? What needs to happen? And we go back to the beginning here in the garden. We see the beginning of, crea- from the beginning of the, of the uh, creation of the world that God is the one who's communicating. Before sin even enters the world, God's the one who's communicating. And he's communicating in ways that give life. He's communicating in ways that bless. And there's a heartbeat beating. You can have hope in me. Those times when you mess up your communication in deep and huge ways. You can have hope in me. Before sin's on the horizon, before sin's even there, you can speak in ways that honor me. So this is the model for our communication. This is the model for our communication. In fact, um, God is the model. God's the decisive word for your communication. So I think a lot of us, maybe we... We appreciate the way certain couples act, especially you know if we're married and we're kind of watching people. We we appreciate how certain couples act, and I'm, I'm asking you: make God the model for your communication. Um, your model is not this or that couple. You don't have to measure up to someone you idolize. You don't have to measure up to someone you appreciate. Um, how you were raised, what kind of home you grew up in, isn't the decisive word for how you behave in marriage. God is. God's the decisive word. So if you came from a home of yellers, that doesn't have to be the decisive word in your life. Because God set the standard for communication way back in the beginning. And some of you, I mean, many of us in this room, maybe you grew up in just homes that modeled this real well. And that's not your standard either. Because some of you are just discouraged that you don't measure up to mom and dad. Well, who are they? Just sinners, by the grace of God, that didn't model this in front of you? Didn't model sin 
you know, they were just civil to one another. Well, they're not your model. They still blew it. Trust me. I've been around church people my whole life. I know that you might not have seen it, but they still had their issues. <laughs> um, I just know it. There's nobody that's perfect except God. He's our model. And so we have hope in Him. He's our standard. He's created this. He used communication to make us, and He uses communication to bless us. So how do your words, how are your words doing compared to that standard? Are your words imparting life to others? Are your words giving blessing to others? Are your words encouraging those around you? God's words function this way, and that's why we have life today, because of Him. So that's the first principle. God established communication. So important. Such an important bedrock to lay. Speech wasn't manufactured by us. We, we messed it up. God set it in motion. Secondly, another principle that emerges from the beginning is that communication was wrecked by sin. So here's one in our wheelhouse. We know this in real well, right? The communication was wrecked by sin. So we know the truths of Genesis 1 and 2 now, and we may be thinking, well, yeah, of course, yeah, before sin enters the world, everything's rosy. Of course, who doesn't know that? Well, um, look at how communication played into God's communication being affected. So if God's the one who rightly communicates, look at how communication happens. Um, and this is how sin enters the world. Look at this. The fall didn't happen in a vacuum. It wasn't like everything was just rosy and nothing was being communicated and, oh, then sin's here. No, the fall happened in the midst of this. It, um, when words began to be used in a way other than what God intended, sin enters the world. Look at this in Genesis 3. Verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God has made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Communication. Satan's words pointed to sin by attacking God. So Satan communicated. He used words to communicate. Satan said to the woman, do you see that in verse 2? Or really the middle of verse 1. Satan said to the woman, serpent was more crafty, and the serpent said to the woman, did God actually say? And it's after he begins speaking, this downward, downward spiral begins. And look at how his language attacks God. It questions God's blessing, doesn't it? What was God's blessing? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Have these trees for fruit. And even the blessing of 2.16, you shall surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. That was God blessing creation. That was him communicating. And Satan goes right after that and says, God doesn't know what he's talking about. He, he goes right after that. And the spiral begins. He questions God's motives. He questions God's authority. 
God's being undermined in everything that Satan communicates. Satan isn't concerned about communicating in a way that honors God. No, he's interested in drawing the woman's words away from God. Alluring her. They pointed to sin. And the way they pointed to sin was by attacking God. God's not out to create. God's not out to bless. He doesn't have your best interest at heart. But I do. That's what he communicated. He communicated. And the result of this was that sin led to shame rather than intimacy. It led to shame. Look at this. They heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And look, God communicates again. God called to the man and said, Where are you? And the man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? So look at how sin affected things. That intimacy, which had been enjoyed before communication, dismantled God's reign, now was destroyed. That intimacy was destroyed. And God calls out. God says, where are you? It's a strange question for God to ask, isn't it? For God to ask, where are you? Planet Earth. (laughs) Don't you get it? I'm here in the Garden of Eden. No, no, no. What was God asking? God wasn't communicating his inability to know where they are. He was calling out to them in communication that would bless them. God's still speaking in ways that create and bless. Where are you? Where are you? He wants man to see where they had drifted to. And the sooner man admitted that, the closer they would be to restoration. The closer they would be to blessing. And the man responds by communicating in a way that displays that intimacy is destroyed. I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. It's a lot different than the Genesis 2 account. So the communication of intimacy had been rejected for communication that dishonors God. They had listened to that alluring word of the serpent and sin had come. It was all communication. And this even spirals further as sin leads to words that blame and discourage. So again, in verses 11 through 13, God says, Who told you were naked, that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So again, instead of communicating a word of blessing for the woman that you've given me this helper and you're good and it's a blessing. He communicates and says, well, she gave me fruit and I ate it. Um, The man can only affirm that. He can't affirm the blessing. He can just affirm the, the separation. And again, it's God's fault. And when the woman is asked, again, her words reflect the same kind of reality. What had begun with words of life and blessing and sin now led to words of accusation and deception. She, the serpent gave this, the serpent did this, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So sin has effects, 
has affected how you communicate. It affects how I communicate. We're not free from sin's influence. We inherit Adam's sin. The day we we were born, we began walking not in the ways of our Creator, we began walking in the ways of Adam. Blaming and deceiving. Um, not wanting to overstate this point, but um, we use this when we talk about adults, so I think it works. Because um, I think this is misapplied by some people, but all those caveats in play. <sighs> Communication. <sighs> From their earliest moments, children are just speaking in words that are selfish. Feed me. Change my diaper. You know. <laughs> um, not in words that bless. Right? And so even adults that kind of act that way, we call them babies. Right? Okay? So, um, this tends to be selfish. And that takes place too in marriage today. We're driven by just sinful desires, sinful actions. So a wife that really wants to engage her husband, honey, we really need to talk. Can't you see I'm watching television? You know, it's we just easily drift into these things. We never talk. Well, we're talking now. <laughs> um, we just easily drift into these things. You know, we, we just get frustrated over the littlest things. Sin affects our communication. It, it has a... That's the point I'm wanting you to get from this. Like, sin affected the way Eve fell. I mean, sin informed that communication, and even all the residual stuff that happened. It wasn't words characterized by blessing and encouragement. Now, well, this woman you gave me, gave me this fruit and I ate it. Well, uh, the serpent deceived me and I ate and. Who told you you were naked? You know, all this comes from sin. That's the reality. All this happens because sin has dismantled the core. Sin has radically reoriented the way we communicate. Rather than communicating in ways that are informed by a God who creates and blesses, now we're informed by ways that are selfish and anti-God and undermining His authority. And He doesn't have the decisive word in the way we communicate. And so there's something that has to change but this is the second point here god created communication but sin wrecks it and i want you to feel that how wrecked sin makes our communication it's wrecked by sin sin has radically reoriented the way we communicate but there is great good news in this passage of where it ends because our third principle this morning is that communication is redeemed by jesus It's redeemed by Jesus. And look at how God, still speaking, God is never off point in what He says. He's always communicating in words that are going to create and bless. Words that are going to impart life and bless. And look at how this is true. Even in the curses of Genesis 3, God is still imparting life. God has a way of righting the wrongs. And He does this here. And what seems like for many, and it really was humanity's worst moment, God enters in with words that heal even though he's pronouncing a curse. So in Genesis 3, verses 14 through 19, God does this. God communicates hope. So he says to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, 
and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I'll surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband. He shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you return. And immediately the man calls his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living, and the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them, and said to them this, Behold, the man has known this. So God communicates. And God's words point to his coming. God's word point to Christ's coming. So yes, there was a lot of wrong accomplished here, but there's hope. One would come, verse 15, who would trample on the head of this one who had caused so much damage. And the one who would come is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was bruised, yes. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. He was despised and afflicted, and by his wounds were healed. Communication can be redeemed. It can be healed. We don't have to live in the reality of being wrecked by sin. We can walk in a way that is restored. And it all comes through Jesus. So just think about that. In Jesus' perfect life. Okay, first off, what was Jesus called in John 1? In the beginning was the... Word, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So God in the flesh, Jesus, is called the Word. That's significant. In other words, he's saying, I am disclosing to you all that God is. I am God, but in me is Him. I'm, you know, you've heard it said, like, my life is an open book. Jesus was the open book. Jesus was God clearly saying, this is who I am. And I've come to give you hope. I've come to rescue you. And in Jesus' perfect life on earth... We have one who perfectly communicated always. Never once did Jesus fail to communicate in a way that gave glory to his Father, imparted words that blessed and gave life. That's always how he communicated. In Jesus' sin-atoning death, all of our weaknesses and all of our disobedience and failure to communicate in a way that honors him was put on him, and it was taken away. So if you're thinking, well, 30 years ago, you won't believe what this person said to me. Jesus took it away. Forgiven. He's taken away that kind of hurt. He's borne it all on the tree. He's taken it away. And not only did he just die and take it away, he rose again so that we could have life, that the power of sin was eradicated. So just like sin set us on a course to fail and to communicate properly, now the gospel of Jesus Christ changes our course so that we can walk in a way that honors him. We can know life. We can know what it is to live a life of faith. Know what it is to communicate with victory. Communicate with grace because of what Jesus has done to remove our sinfulness. In uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we're given this amazing glimmer of hope as well as we think about Jesus' work. It redeems us from sin and its effects. So 2 Corinthians 3.18 
And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And from this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So do you hear the hope there? We're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. That's what God's doing in us now because of the gospel. In the gospel, we're transformed into the image of God himself. We're being moved in the direction by the Spirit of God to please him in our communication, to speak in ways that honor him. Um, To use more 2 Corinthians language, the old is gone, the new has come. We're new creations. So it might be that our frustration is to communicate well. I know some of you are just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what practically do I need to do? Um, Well, first off, I think you just need to see that God made communication. It's wrecked by sin. And Jesus can restore that. Jesus can change us in a way that we can communicate rightly. We don't want to rush past that. We we can communicate rightly because that is indicative of our lives. We are characterized by the gospel. So we forgive more freely. We, we communicate more gracefully because we've tasted grace. We know these things to be true. So Jesus died and rose again so that you'd be set free from the failures in your communication life. I mean, think about that. He died and rose again so that I don't have to communicate that way any longer. I don't have to communicate the way the world does. The gospel gives hope for our communication because communication was redeemed by Jesus. So we've seen these three big principles in Genesis 1-3 to that God established it, communication was wrecked by sin, but it's been redeemed by Jesus. So again, the first application for some of us in this room today is that we need to turn to the gospel. We need to believe that. We need to believe that that news is true, that we can be made right by God. So have you ever turned from your sin to Jesus? Um, Your words matter. I mean, think about the words you use. Every single word you're accountable to God for. Think about that. What's going to be the impact of that? I mean, I think a lot of us just feel even shame and guilt. But that can be, we can be rescued from that because of Christ. The Bible calls us to repent and believe the good news. That we're no longer, no longer is God going to hold us eternally accountable and guilty for all the ways that we failed to live up to his righteous standard of communication. No, now we're free and we're forgiven. We're changed. That's what the gospel says. We can escape that guilty verdict and glorify God. So repent. Turn from a life that's devoted to serving self and communication and believe the good news. Believe that Jesus and his life and death and resurrection can give you hope to communicate rightly. can not only just help change the way you talk, but it can also change the, changes everything, changes the way you live. You have a new heart. And from that new heart, out of that new heart, comes words that honor God. And if you're a believer, um, you may be discouraged because probably you don't disagree with any of this. 
you know exactly what I've said is true. Yes, God made communication. Yes, it's wrecked by sin. And yes, the gospel gives me hope. And that, that may be just discouraging to you because the reality is it doesn't make much difference in the day-to-day living of your life. So here's a couple of applications. First of all, stop being preoccupied with yourself and be preoccupied with God. I think the reason some of us communicate the way we do is because we are so in love with ourselves. We love everything about us. And, I mean, yeah, we wouldn't dare stand in front of a mirror, but we we love just talking about all the stuff that we're doing. Um, and so, related to this, you know, you can probably think of, well, here's all the ways that my spouse has blown it. And you can list maybe failure after failure of, well, this person didn't communicate with me in that situation rightly. And this person, you know, and you're letting all these things and your interpretation of these have the decisive word in your life. And so don't be preoccupied with that. Be preoccupied with God and what he's done and how he's communicated and how you can model that to others. So God has a righteous standard. He he hasn't left you to fish what this looks like on your own. He's given you the Holy Spirit. And so today, if you feel conviction that you're not communicating in a certain way, uh, God's at work to change you. That's a good thing. He's blessing you. He's put His Spirit within you, and the Spirit is speaking and saying, you've got to change the way you act. And that's from Him. It's a way of Him giving life. It's a way of blessing you. But also, I think you need to remember the Gospel. Um, your failure is very real, and um, just confess that. Maybe some of you just need to confess that to your spouse. I don't know if you've done that. Uh, or maybe there's another believer that you've spoken to, and you just need to say to them, listen, I was out of line in the way I communicated to you. So, forgive me. Uh, by the way, forgive me is a better way to communicate than I'm sorry. Right? Have we gone over this before? I'm sorry, says, you were upset about something, and I'm sorry that you're upset about it. Forgive me, says, I wronged you, and you hold that against me, so will you release it? When you say I'm sorry, it could be like, well, I'm sorry you feel that way. Um, No, when you say forgive me, you're recognizing the wrong was done. So um, that might need to happen. You might need to confess something to your spouse or to another believer. And um, we can do that. We can bring our sin to the light because when we stand before God someday, our communication woes are not going to be the decisive word in our life, is it? What's going to be the decisive word? The decisive word is going to be Jesus saying, it's finished. This is one of my children. That's the decisive word for you. So you're forgiven. You're free. And just own up to your part of the mess and walk freely. It's great good news. So remember the gospel change that has come to your life by Christ. And don't be preoccupied with all those other things. We're all wronged. I mean, yeah, I can hardly read Facebook without being some cynic grump, you know. So, yeah, people mess up stuff. People are going to miscommunicate. Don't let that have the decisive word. Let the gospel be the decisive word. And just own up to your part of the mess. 
uh, communicate to please God. So just here's a couple of simple things. from This is Proverbs chapter 10. Listen to this, verse 13. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found. Verse 18. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever slanders is a fool. So whenever you talk bad about someone. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. That's uh, Proverbs 10.19. Proverbs 10.21. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Or Proverbs 10.32. The lips of the righteous know what's acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. So honor God with your speech. Just just walk in that. Obey. Um, You can do this because of the gospel, because of the spirit who lives within you. So communicate that way. I mean, think about the impact of your words on others. Are they blessing? Some of us just don't care. We don't give a rip. And it's, it's not radiating Christ. It's radiating that you're a big selfish me monster. And so we don't want to be radiating that. I don't want to do anything in this world that radiates Phil. I want to radiate Christ. Well, my speech is a good way to do that. So communicate in that way. Um, this is our joy and privilege because of what the gospel's done in our lives. So let's do that. As people who want to glorify and enjoy God forever, let's communicate in ways that honor God, in ways that he's dictated in his word, ways that he's ordained that we walk in so that we can be a blessing to others, just like he was a blessing to us in making us. We can confidently walk in this behavior, not just because it's a good idea, but because that's why Jesus died and rose again, so that we can be enabled to live this way. So let's prove the worth of the gospel in the way we talk. Thank you for listening. We hope this message helps you to glorify God and enjoy Him forever.